Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Welcome to The Definitive Rap, and I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. Before we begin, I want to express my deepest condolences to the families of the four Israeli victims, Doris Yachbaz, Laura Yitzchak, Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky, and Menachem Yecheskel, who were stabbed to death in Beersheba a few days ago. Anti-Semitism has become a crisis that is only increasing and threatening our nation, the world, and universities. The question is, how do the BDS activists on college campuses carry out anti-Semitism and get others to jump on their bandwagon? By creating a hostile climate. They accuse Jewish students of racism because they support a Jewish state and declaring Israel to be illegitimate while claiming that the Palestinians are merely seeking a homeland. It has gotten so bad that not only are Jewish students denied equal participation in student affairs, but the anti-Semitism has risen so brazenly that they chant genocidal slogans celebrating the forthcoming destruction of Israel. With us today is Dr. Richard L. Kravitz, author of six books, including Jew Hatred Rising, The Perversities of the Campus War Against Israel and Jews. Dr. Kravitz is President Emeritus of, Emeritus of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East, SBME for short, um, an organization with 30,000 members worldwide. As a professor of the past 15 years, he has taught over 21 courses at 14 universities in Florida and Massachusetts. Dr. Kravitz has published over 550 articles and book chapters on campus anti-Semitism, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and campus free speech in the Boston Globe, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and many others. And he also gives speeches nationally on these topics and frequently appears as a guest on radio shows. In addition to serving as a member of the board of directors of the Brandeis Center, Dr. Kravitz is also a board member of the Amcha Initiative, the Florida chapter of the Zionist Organization of America, an advisory board member of the Abraham Global Peace Initiative, and several other organizations. Dr. Kravitz, welcome back to the Definitive Wrap. It's been a while, but so glad to have you. Thank you for having me back. Can you tell us about the anti-Israel group SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, and also why they're um, intelligent students? Why are their intelligent students buying into their propaganda while ignoring the reality of Arab aggression, murder, and suicide bombers? Why is no mention ever made of Arab terror? And again, how are intelligent students accepting of such unfair misinformation? Students for Justice in Palestine, as you know, have been very successful in promoting an anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, and often anti-Semitic narrative in which Israel is characterized as a colonial usurper of Muslim land with no legal or moral right to 
modern day Israel uh, and certainly the West Bank and Gaza, uh, even though Israel disengaged from Gaza in 2005. Students for Justice in Palestine characterizes themselves as being pro-Palestinian, but in essence, they are the modern day brown shirts because they are by definition anti-Israel and all of their activism, all of their events, all of their rhetoric, all of their guest speakers are, have one specific purpose. And that purpose is to libel, slander and demean Israel in a way that makes their fellow students look at Israel as the oppressor of an indigenous people who are totally innocent. And Israel is depicted as not only illegal and immoral, but racist in its very character, where Zionism is equated with racism. And SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, has been remarkably successful in promoting this toxic view to students who have a good heart and are well-intentioned, but because they are ignorant of the facts and history, align with the Palestinians and pose themselves against Israel in a way that's not only unjust, but ahistorical and foolish. But how do they do that? How do they get intelligent students to, to go along with it? Because they are uh, very successful, as I said, in propagating this narrative. Uh, a narrative, as you know, doesn't rely on facts. It relies on assumptions and emotional appeals to situations. So on university campuses, victim groups are perceived to be needing attention and protection. And all administrators and, and fellow students are very concerned with protecting the sensitivities of anyone who's perceived as being a victim. Mm -hmm. Jews and Jewish students are not considered to be victims on campus anymore. They're considered to enjoy white privilege. And as such, Israel and white Jews and Jewish students who support Israel are perceived to be part of the oppressive class, part of part of the oppressors who are uh, denying minority, indigenous, colored Arabs of their rights, both human and civil, uh, even though this is clearly not the case in, actu in Israel in actuality. Right, right. Just as anything can be used for good, can also be used for bad. Social media and freedom of speech are such examples. One of the vehicles of promoting hatred and anti-Semitism is social media and the right to freedom of speech. Yet there is hypocrisy that is somehow acceptable. The recent action by the Duke student government, DSG President Christina Wang, to withhold recognition to new uh, pro-Israel student groups. So it seems that free speech, particularly on campus academic speech, is only free depending on who is speaking. So what gives? Well, that's, that's part of a broad hypocrisy on campuses that not only affects the Israeli-Palestinian debate, but also the conservative and liberal debate, uh, where you saw last week on the Yale Law School campus, 
where a conservative speaker who was actually on a panel that was discussing free speech, ironically enough, was shouted down and, and made unable to speak because the enlightened and supposedly tolerant Yale Law students had decided that because she was the counsel for a organization that, that was in their minds anti-gay, she had no right to even express her opinions. And so Students for Justice in Palestine, we discovered in a leaked document that came from the Binghamton campus, showed us that it was their intention not only to uh, not allow pro-Israel views to be articulated on campus, but if guest speakers came to support Israel or to support Zionism or to speak on behalf of Jewish students, that Students for Justice in Palestine felt it was their obligation and right to suppress that speech, to shout down those speakers, to disrupt those events. And university administrators always say that they are for free speech, but in instances where minority students or members of, of what administrators perceive to be minority students shout down speakers misbehave in some ways, deprive others of speech rights and academic freedom. Administrators are so afraid of being called Islamophobic mm. or racist themselves well, that they the tread very lightly. And while they sometimes will say we denounce anti-Semitism when, when something anti-Semitic occurs on campus, they also are quick to include Islamophobia and racism and all other forms of bigotry in their statements and not making it specific to Judaism and, and anti-Semitism because they, they know that other minority groups will instantly jump up and, and protest and say, well, what about us? What about right. Islamophobia? Hmm. Uh, even though that's, as Christopher Hitchens once said, a disease without any symptoms. That's how they get away with that double standard. Yes. Um, can you tell us about the shocking behavior of the stu uh, student government in Pomona College where they successfully pushed a resolution that would compel students, student clubs to participate in a boycott of specific companies that do business with Israel? I've been very alarmed at this trend, and this has happened on various campuses, not not only in the manifestation of Panoma, but at the University of Toronto, for example, where they tried to prohibit uh, companies that supply kosher food to the campus, to the Jewish students from supplying it if those companies somehow supported Israel. Uh, there's been attacks usually led by Students for Justice in Palestine, again, uh, against student government uh, funding for any organizations or student groups on campus that are pro-Israel or that support Israel, because the people that are the enemies of Israel on campus have decided that Israel has no fundamental goodness, that it's illegal and immoral, that it was a Nakba, a catastrophe in its very creation, and that it is a racist colonial regime. Therefore, in their minds, anyone who supports Israel 
is somehow bad outside of the pale and cannot be accepted. So some, some Jewish students who are supporters of other liberal causes like gay marriage and right. abortion rights or what, whatever have been excluded from progressive movements and causes and organizations because of their support of Israel. As if the, the fact that they support the Jewish state makes them complicit in a whole host of predations and bad behavior that excludes them from being part of other progressive movements. I find that now that anti-Israel groups are going against Jewish institutions. Kosher food has nothing to do with the Israeli government. Hillel has nothing to do with the Israeli government. So you can, it's one thing to criticize Israel and its behavior in Israel and in the West Bank and in Gaza and in areas where Israel is actually involved. But to, on, to go after Jewish institutions, kosher food, and the right. like on American or Canadian campuses, that to me is a form of anti-Semitism. That has nothing to do with criticizing Israel. Right. And it's depriving Jewish students of kosher food yeah. or a, a place to organize at a Hillel. And that type of um, pushing against Judaism and Zionism in my mind is almost blatant anti-Semitism and has to be called out as such. And I think at some point, university administrators are going to have to put their foot down and say, you know what, enough is enough. You've now crossed a line. Right. It's one thing to criticize Israel, but demanding that Jewish students on our campus can't have kosher food because you don't like Israel. Yeah. Where do you get off doing this? Right. People have to eat. Students have to eat. Awful. How do the campuses in Europe compare to um, the universities in the U.S. with regard to supporting terror and denouncing Israel? Uh, I know uh, I'm only familiar with campuses in England, and I know that the, they are as toxic and as anti-Zionist and anti-Israel as the worst campuses in the United States. Um, the Middle Eastern study center at, at uh, University of London is equivalent to Columbia University's Middle Eastern Studies centers, where the bulk of the professors are anti-Western, anti-colonial, anti-Israel, and often anti-Semitic pseudo-scholars who spend all of their professional time uh, agitating against Israel and creating false scholarships. And I know that there's a very strong Muslim presence in English universities, and many of those students are by default anti-Israel and agitate in radical groups in the same way that happens on American campuses against anyone who supports Israel. And, and they, like America, their American counterparts, depict Israel as a colonial oppressor of an innocent indigenous people. There are people who may not understand what being pro-Palestine really means. And I'm certain that there are students who don't know and therefore actually join such groups. Dr. Kravitz, we have a wide audience. Please explain what being 
pro-Palestine really means? Uh, being pro-Palestinian on American campuses, I have written by default means being anti-Israel. So you would think that, that groups that pretend to be pro-Palestinian would be helping the Palestinians form a state, would be helping the Palestinians diminish terrorism, would be helping the Palestinians and urging them to write a constitution by which they could govern themselves, would be helping them to bring Fatah and Hamas together in a working government so that one government could govern over the Palestinians if and when they create a new state for themselves, even though, as we all know, they have rejected such statehood in 1937, in 1947, in 1967, in 2000, and on other occasions when they were offered it. Because the reality is that the issue of a Palestinian state is not actually the principal guiding factor of the, of the people that consider themselves pro-Palestinians. What is the principal motivating factor is the absence of a Jewish entity, the, the dissolution of a Jewish state. And this idea of liberating Palestine as if there had been a nation called Palestine where a people called Palestinians had lived and European Jews after World War II suddenly showed up in the Middle East with no prior connection to that land or territory and created illegally on stolen Palestinian land, a new place that they called Israel on top of Palestine. That is part of that false narrative that is believed by the pro-Palestinians. So being pro-Palestinian makes the assumption that Israel has no right to exist. And that someday, as the students often chant in their demonstrations, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. What does that mean? From yeah, the Jordan yeah, River chant, yeah. to the Mediterranean Sea. That encompasses all the land that is now Israel. So in their minds, when if Palestine is to be free, that means that Israel will no longer exist that will either be eliminated by war and the murder of all of its population who are Jewish, or millions of, of Palestinian Arabs will flood into Israel and subsume it and destroy its Jewish character demographically, which will liberate Palestine. But the idea that there was a country called Palestine is fundamental to being pro-Palestinian. And of course, it's false. It's not factual. It's not historical. It's not accurate. Yet it is repeated ad nauseum without thinking about it by students who either know that they are lying or don't know that they are lying, but have only been taught a false narrative. Yeah. It's not uncommon for a perpetrator to cry victim. I mean, we, we see that all the time. In your book, you talk about the ascent of what you coin uh, this, the cry bully in campus anti-Israel activism. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, the cry bully is a term that I didn't invent, but it 
it is typical of some of the groups like Students for Justice in Palestine or the Muslim Student Association. Um, these are these vicious, toxic, radical groups who are relentlessly attacking Jewish students and their support of Israel and Zionism and so forth. But, but as happened at Duke University, when some Jewish students answered back and corrected them and said, no, we are not colonial usurpers. This was land that was Jewish in character and in fact from biblical times. The original instigators, the people that had propagated the lies against Israel and uh, Jewish students started whining that they were being attacked by racist Zionists and that the Jewish lobby was trying to suppress their speech. So the cry bully is somebody that is very aggressive in their criticism, in this case of Israel or supporters of Israel. But when they are called on their behavior, when they are called on their speech, when they are corrected uh, by facts and history, they start whining that they're being attacked because they're a minority, because they're a Muslim, and because white supremacist Zionists are attacking them in a fascistic way and making them feel uncomfortable and that this is an instance of Islamophobia or whatever. Um, it's, it's a way that people like to be able to criticize with impunity, but they don't like to have to back up their criticisms with fact or justify them with some kind of reality. So when, they're, when the people that they're attacking answer back, instead of answering back with facts to prove their case, they whine about racism or anti-Muslim sentiment, Islamophobia and so forth. This is a common tactic on the left in general, that, that when they try to attack Republicans or conservatives in any way and conservatives answer back, they start whining about the fact that the conservatives are racist and that's why they're attacking, for example, critical race theory in the schools. That it's not because it's teaching children to have an identity based on the color of their skin and to think of themselves as either, either perpetual victims or, or perpetual oppressors. No, it can't be that. It's because the people that are criticizing critical race theory must be racist and they don't want the truth to be taught because the left, in the case of critical race theory, has its own truth. It's a narrative that they've created, that whites are always oppressors and that black kids are always victims. Well, that's something that, you know, we thought we had left behind. Right. Are you seeing things getting worse or has it plateaued? Because it's not getting better. No, it's definitely not getting better. I, I'm amazed that I started writing about this phenomenon of anti-Israel activism over 10 years ago. And every day I see a new instance of something happening where some of the, some of the items you just listed, McGill University is uh, just student government just voted to stand in solidarity with the Palestinians, you know, what is this enormous, uh, overwhelming, unrelenting compassion for the, the Palestinians? What have they ever done to deserve such compassion? 
they, they've been offered statehood, as we mentioned earlier, on multiple occasions, yet rejected it every time. They pay hundreds of millions of dollars to terrorists and the family of terrorists to murder Jews. Yeah. Hamas has lobbed over 25,000 rockets into southern Israeli towns over the past 15 years since, since the disengagement in Gaza. And every one of those is a war crime. And the Palestinians have never denounced their own terrorism. They have textbooks which don't show Israel on the maps and geography books. They, they are very happy to incite terrorism and to teach it to their children. So what is it about the Palestinians and their cause that is so animating that the whole world and all of these student groups are so active in it? It yeah. has to be the fact that the enemies of the Palestinians, at least in the minds of their supporters, are Jews. And that's why all of this pro-Palestinian activism often is perceived to be anti-Semitic in nature because it's targeted relentlessly, obsessively at Israel, the only Jewish state in the world, the only Jewish country. Why is that? Not because people love Palestinians so much, but because they despise the Jewish state so much because of its Jewish character. What can people do? I, I, you know, people feel bad. They, you know, they're going to read your book and, and all your articles. And I, I follow you regularly, religiously. What can people do to make a difference, to change, to change what's wrong, to right the wrong? Part of it has to do with uh, education and knowing the facts. Now, there are many Jewish students on campuses who show great bravery in speaking back to instances such as the one we mentioned at the Duke on Duke University's campus where an anti-Israel student tweeted something horrific about Israel, calling them colonial oppressors. And some Jewish students in a very moderate and temperate way corrected her, but the correction was was denounced as being antagonistic and racist and so forth. Um, but in that instance, the Jewish students knew the truth. They corrected the false narrative. So that has to happen all the time on campuses. It's very difficult because the anti-Israel activism is a tsunami overcoming Jewish students, regardless of how impassioned they are. The other part of the problem is that on university campuses, at least, the anti-Israel forces have been very successful in creating um, a theater and a narrative which is seen by many people in, for example, using Israeli apartheid week every year, where they put up a mock apartheid wall and they have checkpoints that the students have to go through as if they're trying to simulate what Palestinians have to go, to, go through in Israel. Uh, without any context, Israel has a security barrier and has checkpoints, not because they hate Arabs, but because they've been beleaguered by terrorism since they were founded over 70 years ago. So the, 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 the facts of the narrative are always 
obscured, but the student groups promoting pro-Palestinianism have been successful in creating an engaging way of looking at the situation, even though it's false. Jewish students, when they get together, they have they talk about how good Israel is and they sing folk songs and eat hummus. They don't denigrate the Palestinians. They don't attack the Palestinians. They don't tell the truth about the Palestinians in the way that the Palestinians do to the Israelis. Uh, so what can be done? One thing that has been done with some success is that Jewish graduates and donors to universities where there are problems have withdrawn and withheld funds as they just, as one Jewish donor did because the endowed chair that she had, had funded at a university was occupied by a professor who was anti-Israel and anti-Zionist. And she withdrew the funding for that endowed chair uh, over a million dollars. So that was one way of giving a, a very strong message the pocket. to universities uh, that if you don't do something about this harassment, we're going to respond. Another way that we've, we've been doing it at the Brandeis Center, for example, on whose board I sit, is that we remind public universities that under Title VI, they have a legal responsibility to protect Jewish students from harassment and from a hostile climate. Yeah. And if they fail to do that by allowing radical anti-Israel groups to propagate harassing, demeaning, and anti-Semitic activity towards Jewish students, that they will be legally liable and could force punishment from the Department of Education. So that's a very motivating factor as well. It's, it's, a, it's a litigious way that obviously we try to avoid, but it's something that gets the attention of universities. We're out of time. <laughs> I wish okay. we can go on longer. I urge everyone to get a hold of Jew Hatred Rising. Dr. Kravitz, please tell us how people can get a hold of it. The ebook can be downloaded at no cost at stopcampusjewhatred.org. Stopcampusjewhatred.org. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kravitz. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Thank you for having me. to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.